takes us. So we're working through a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and um, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 5, 6, and 7. Today we get to the subject of anger. And as we will read through this, what we will discover is, is that we don't, we don't, as Christians, we don't get to get away with saying, well, I'm just an, I'm just an angry kind of person. It's just, you know, it's just the way I am. I, I'm just an angry type, you know. Um, some people are more peaceful. I'm just angry. Uh, it's, it's not a temperament thing. We're going to be um, delving into that a little bit. You see, you can express anger in different ways. You can express anger explosively. You can express anger very, very quietly. Nevertheless, it's both anger. So some people, when they're angry, charge, charge full ahead. It's like an, a volcano, like an eruption onto whoever's in the way. Other people, when they're angry, draw right back and just simmer. In one sense, the first is more obviously unhelpful than the other because you can say all kinds of crazy things if you erupt where you end up killing people spiritually. At least you don't do that if you withdraw. But if you do withdraw over time, what happens in your relationship with that person is that there's still a death that happens. You still kill them with your silence. You kill him with your lack of genuine connection, genuine closeness and warmth. The thing becomes um, something of an act if there is any warmth at all. It's harmful. And um, we're going to be uh, looking at this. There's so many different reasons why people are anger. Some people, it's bitterness and unforgiveness. Terrible things have happened. And they've, they've just never let it go. Something in them refuses to let the thing go entirely. There's an insistence that at least to some degree they will nurse it. Whatever happened, they will keep it in some way. Meditate on it. Think about it. Mull it over. So that the root of bitterness grows into a tree and affects their whole personality. Uh, it, it, it's when things are not resolved internally. That's one thing. So other times, uh, the root of it is a self-importance thing. It's like things don't work out your way. And so there's, ju- there's just this inherent sense that they should. And that if, n- if they don't, that's really outrageously out of order. And it really comes out of a, a way of thinking whereby you're, you're at the center of the universe and things have got to work out because I planned them this way. I need to be there by that time. Otherwise, dot, 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 but my train has been canceled. 
Yeah? Um, sometimes it's just uh, indulging the flesh. You see, the Bible says in Galatians 5 that um, the works of the, it gives a big list of the works of the flesh. When it talks about the flesh, it's talking about that part of us which always really just wants to do its own thing and doesn't want to know about God. And there's a big list, and one of them is outbursts of anger. So if you don't get on top of your flesh, then one of the things that will mark you will be outbursts of anger, even if no one ever sees them and you do them alone. Yeah, so no one might know, but you, you do them alone, okay? So the cat suffers or whatever. Um, other times it's inherited patterns. That you were brought up in an environment of anger, that even if, whether it was explosive and violent or just very, very quiet, there was always a sense in which uh, the water was simmering or <laughs> bubbling over rather than being still. There was an environment of anger, and um, what you've seen is under pressure, reacting anger or whatever, and you, you've, you've learned the same. So it can happen in many different ways for different reasons, etc., etc. And we're going to look at what Jesus says about it today. A few comments on the Sermon of the Mount first, just so our heads are straight. We know what it is. In Matthew 4, verse uh, 23, which is just before the Sermon on the Mount, we find a record of Jesus' uh, teaching and preaching. And we're told this. He went throughout all city, all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. The gospel that Jesus preached is referred to again and again as the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. What is that? Because with jargon words, we can tend to just get used to it, especially if you've been, been around church for a while, and never think through, what is it? Gospel means good news. But what's the good news of the kingdom? It's this. God reigns. That's the good news. God reigns. You haven't got to worry or wonder, is he still in charge? Is he still up? Is he still kind of over things? Is he involved? Is he interested? Yes, 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 yes. He is the king. He has created all things, and he will bring all things to their consummation. He is about a work. Your God reigns. There is no better news than that. Because the God who reigns is the God who has all power. The God who reigns is the God who is all compassionate. The God who reigns is the God who is good. And he reigns. He is not under threat by anyone or anything. No new technology can threaten his place on the throne. Okay, Satan or any other spiritual power cannot threaten his place on the throne. He is the only one who is uncreated, the creator of all, the only God, blessed forever. Amen. He is God and he reigns. This is the good news that Jesus would go around preaching. It was massive for the Israelites because there had been like a prophetic silence for 400 or so years. So I guess maybe in some of their minds they were thinking, has something changed? Because we've heard of God rescuing the, us, you know, through the Red Sea with Moses. And we know about King David and the glory years. But with us, it's just been silent. What's happening? Jesus comes and he says, your God reigns and he invites you into his kingdom. He invites you to be a citizen in his kingdom. And then the Sermon on the Mount is really saying, this is what life in the kingdom is like. Okay? This is like the kingdom manifesto, if you like. This is how it works if you're under Jesus' leadership. And they made the Beatitudes, the description of what it means to be saved when God works on you by the Spirit, when you get born again. All those glorious things we looked at many weeks ago uh, now. And we see that the main agent of the kingdom, the, 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 the people that Jesus is addressing in this sermon, is the disciples, the nucleus of the church. So it's about the kingdom 
And the main agent of the kingdom, what, what, what I mean by that is the main body, if you like, that expresses God's rule on the earth is his people, the church. And um, we are the citizens of the kingdom. We are the salt of the earth, that which keeps the earth from going rotten. We are the light of the world. We're the church, man. What a privilege. You may be here just as, as a guest. You may be here just with a friend. And you say, you're not a Christian in that sense. And so in that sense, you're not the church. Because the church isn't a building, thankfully. Because if it is, we're in trouble. If it is, we're Revelation School. Okay? This is, you know, look. It's not. It's not a church. But it is the church. Because the church means God's gathered people. And we are the church. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill. Elsewhere, we're described as those who shine like stars in the universe. The whole idea is, is that by our good works, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit and in love with Jesus, the world should look on and say, wow, look at those people. They must know an amazing God who reigns. And we're the sort of the, sort of the earth, which we looked at the other week. We're those who, through our words and our lives, put a preserving factor into the earth around us. And then we've been looking at the law. Remember last week, that big, meaty, theological thing on the law? And how does the law work? Now, Jesus has come. Did we just kind of shelve all of that and forget all of that as a new thing coming? We looked at, no, Jesus said, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. I've come to show you really what all those Old Testament rules and commands were about. I've come to fulfill them in my body, that the ceremonial laws, all the offerings and sacrifices have been fulfilled in the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus. That all the specific laws the Jews are under, dietary laws and other things, they've all been fulfilled in him as he's created the new nation, the new nation, the new Israel, if you like, the church. And then the moral laws, the Ten Commandments and all of those things, Jesus is now saying, I'm, I have fulfilled all of them, the only one to ever live that life. And now as I fill you with the Spirit, I want to show you what it will look like to fulfill the law as you live. Okay. Let's go from verse 21 then in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus begins to get into the heart of, um, remember he said last week, remember we looked at last week, he said, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Now what he's going to do over these next few weeks we're going to look at, he's going to look at some of the things the Pharisees and Sadducees were saying about the law and he's going to say, look, we're going to go much further than that. So he says this, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, please will you do your work through your words today. We need you. We feel it so keenly, not just weekly. We feel our need for you daily to represent the living God, to be ambassadors for Christ. It's no small thing, Lord. We, we, we say, apart from you, Lord, we can do nothing. We need the Holy Spirit. Have mercy on us. As we look at this word, pierce our heart, break us down, um, empty us of self 
confidence that we might be filled with you and find a fresh confidence in you. That we might uh, face, Lord, uh, a watching world and display the aroma of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. Amen. Amen. <laughs> You've heard it was said to those of old, Jesus said, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now that is right. That is there in the Old Testament. It wasn't just the Pharisees and the scribes that had kind of twisted it. That is what it says in the law. But what was happening was the scribes and the Pharisees, they were taking two different commands, bringing them together. And what they had developed, they'd done something which people are so clever at doing, is taking a command of God, just kind of um, squeezing it here and there, chopping it there, putting that bit on that, and then finding a way around the heart of it in doing so. And it got to the point where the scribes and Pharisees were saying, as long as you don't actually kill someone in a premeditated way, you're fine. Okay? As long as you don't kill, you plan to kill someone and then kill them, no problem at all. And they'd really gotten away from the spirit of the law. It was, it was all about, they were all about the letter of the law. The spirit of the law, we now know from Jesus, is that when God said, you shall not murder or you shall not kill, he was talking about a lot more than... You know, like someone who would sit in their bedroom and plan a killing and then go and execute it a whole lot more than that. I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You see, if you twist the, the command and just make it into something just that, you, that's, if you get one of God's commands and make it something you can easily fulfill, you know you've got it wrong. Okay, because there's not many of us in this in this room who are literal murderers. Maybe none. I don't know, but the odds are that there won't. There aren't many people who actually plan to kill someone and then kill them. And so, if that's if that's all God's command means, and actually, it's quite it's easy to fulfill God's commands. Whereas, actually, when you think about it, the holiness and the perfection of God, um, if it was easy for us to fulfill God's commands, then that would be saying something either that God's not that holy or we're actually not that sinful. Whereas the Bible teaches that God is very holy and we are very sinful. So you know you're facing God's commands when you go, oh no. Yeah? When you're like, oh, when you read a command and you feel undone, you feel like, well, how am I supposed to do that? You know you've read it. You know you've got it right. Okay? You know that that's, 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 because, because what that does is it, 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 it stops you from becoming a Pharisee. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders were so self-satisfied because of what they'd done with the God's commands. It's like, well, we've done them all. And they were so self-satisfied and Jesus had reserved his strongest words for them because Jesus hates that kind of self-satisfaction, that kind of self-righteousness where you think, well, yeah, sure, I'm not, you know, I'm not that bad. You haven't seen yourself. You haven't seen yourself if you feel that way about yourself. It's a bit like the rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus. He says, what must I do to in inherit eternal life? And Jesus rules off some of the commands. He says, I've done them all since I was a youth. Jesus says, okay, one thing you lack. Uh, give away everything you've got and then follow me. What was Jesus doing? Adding an extra command? No, not at all. Jesus was saying, okay, you haven't got the commands. <laughs> Here's what they are. Boom. Your heart is gripped with money. Jesus sees right through to the idolatry. You worship money. Leave that and follow me. We told the man walked away sad. Here's a man who actually wanted to know God. But when actually it got to the thing in his heart, his idols being challenged, he walked away sad. It's about the Apostle Paul before he was saved. If ever someone 
fulfilled the law in, in a sort of legalistic external way. He described himself as blameless, faultless. But look what it led to, murdering Christians. And then one day, he's on, his road, on the way to Damascus, and Jesus just blasts out of heaven with his glorious light, and he's undone and made brand new. That's what we need. <laughs> That's what we're about. Okay? <laughs> Jesus blasting out of heaven, undoing us, and making us brand new. And then once he's done that, and we can call ourselves born-again Christians, we then start on this pattern of life which involves Jesus blasting out of heaven, undoing us, and making us brand new. <laughs> Okay, it's just something. Oh, happy, that's, that's, that's done now. Now I'm now I'm the man. No, it's kind of it introduces you to a pattern of life, which is where you realise, oh mate, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Anyone know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean. We 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 tend to be so Pharisaic. We do tend to lean into that so quickly to to find something to just give us some sense of I, I'm I'm not that bad. Uh, thankfully, God offers us a different refuge from that. You haven't got to find something to cling to, to make yourself feel you're not that bad. God provides Jesus with a perfect righteousness and says, go and hide in him. Go on. He's righteous. He's not just trying to convince himself that he is. He actually is. And God has provided him for you for, as your righteousness. Run into him and make your boast in him. And know, know that you can stand before God. Why? Because you're in him. And his righteousness clothes you. What a wonder this gospel is. What a wonder. Listen to what Lloyd-Jones says about what we do with commands like this. Oh yes, there are ways in which men can be destroyed short of murder. We can destroy a man's reputation. We can shake somebody else's confidence in him by whispering criticism or by deliberate fault finding. That's the kind of thing which our Lord is here indicating. And his whole purpose is to show that all that is included in this commandment, you shall not kill. Killing does not only mean destroying life physically, it means still more trying to destroy the spirit and soul, destroying the person in any shape or form. You see, you can kill someone with a look. It hasn't even got to be words. You can kill someone, you can make someone wither with a look. You may have done it, or you may have had it done to you. And it's so subtle. And you think, why do I feel like I've just died? Yeah? <laughs> Jesus says here that there's, there's three things. He says, first of all, he says, if you're angry with your brother, if in your heart you hold resentment towards someone in the church. So he's talking about spiritual brotherhood. If there's someone in God's church that you hold resentment towards, that you, you, you're bubbling away about. He says, you're, you're, God's going God's gonna to be speaking to you about that. And um, it's a big deal to him. We're going to look at why in just a moment. But it's a really big deal to God if you are. Because it's invisible, isn't it? I can say, hi, good to see you. Yeah, it's invisible. But there's someone who searches the heart. It's all laid bare before him, right? So when you're going, hi, oh, he's not seeing that. He's seeing, he's, that's what he's seeing. So that's when you think to yourself, why has God got a problem with that? Well, he's just seen your heart. Then he takes it a step further and says, uh, whoever insults his brother, and here this is like talking, like, like um, using terms like 
idiot. It's that kind. It's like empty head. That's what the that's what the word kind of means. Em- empty head. You know what it says? Ah, yeah. You div or you idiot or you wally or you. It's that. You'll be liable to the council, the heavenly council. There's a load of heavenly beings who are going to talk to you about that. When you call them an idiot, what were you doing? Particularly in a culture like ours, which kind of gets off on that kind of thing, doesn't it? You know, we kind of have all kinds of fun pulling down. And I, I, thi- what this isn't banter and, you know, where the friendship is understood and that stuff, that's, that's, that's cool. Of course it is. We know that. But where you actually genuinely say to someone, you idiot. You idiot, how could you say that? Or you idiot, how could you do that? God will have words with you about that. He will. And then it goes one further. He says, and uh, whoever says raka, which means you fool, and that's talking more about more about character. So you're not so much saying you're a, you're, a, you're an idiot, you're a dumbo. You're saying your heart, your 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 heart's all wrong. It's 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 when you're making a it's judging. You're making a decision about someone. You're this. You're that. You've got no love in you. You will be liable to the hell of fire. That sounds quite serious, doesn't it? I'm not going to add to that or take away from that. I'm going to let it stand. There it is. I don't need to say anything extra about that or try to make it soften the blow. Jesus says you'll be liable to the hell of fire. Now, I don't understand why pretty much all of Jesus' teaching about hell is to disciples. I don't know why, but it is. When he warns people of hell, it's not people who don't believe, pretty much. Mostly disciples. I don't get that either. But I'm not going to add to that or take away from it. Different theological frameworks would make different sense of it, but that's what he does. And Jesus is saying, I'm really, really interested in what you say and the state of your heart. I really am. And he really is. And um, it's important that we, that we understand that. And I want to show you why as we move on to verse 23. In verse 23, he, Jesus gives two scenarios. And um, just to highlight the importance of this. So verse 23, he says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So we don't have our offerings and sacrifices, but it's a little bit like Sunday. If you come here, or to like gospel community or something, where you're going to go and you're going to praise the Lord, you're going to do some kind of honoring of the Lord, thanksgiving, worship, praise, and then as you arrive, you realize things aren't right with that person, then the Lord says to you, go and put things right, then come back. Even if you miss your favorite song. Or even if so-and-so thinks, what are they doing? They just walked into church and they've gone straight away. One of uh, my old church, one of the elders, he spoke about a situation where he got to church one day, about to praise the Lord, just about to, Holy Spirit convicted him, boom, of something just like this. One of the elders of the church, he's like, oh, went out, sorted out, came back halfway through. That's great. Now, what is this? Here, why is this? Why do this? Surely you think, well, I can, the Lord knows. The Lord knows my heart. You know, I'll sort it out. I'll just worship and praise, and then I'll go and do it. What, what, why is that not? Why doesn't it say that Jesus says, you know what? If you go to worship and you know someone's got something wrong with you, God knows your heart. 
So crack on with the worship and then go and sort things out. No, leave the offering, go and sort it. Why? There's an urgency here. There's a, this is very important. Why, why, why? Here's why. Because God has redeemed for himself a people. And this is a theme that keeps coming through. And I think about because I think it's something the Lord's saying to us. It's not just the personal me and Jesus thing. It's a body thing. And if I come and bring an offering to the Lord, but the body's out of kilter, there's a sprained ankle there. We're out of relationship. It's not right. And it, uh, this pain, it causes pain. It causes pain to the heart of God. And God's like, fix it, please. Then I can really enjoy what you bring. But please fix it because this is hurting. It hurts God. It's his body. Pains his heart. Oh, no, we've got to. This is, you want to worship? Great. Best worship now would be go and, go and straighten that out. Go and, go and mend that. Go and heal that. It's so important that you do. Because if we, if we think things are great with the Lord, but our relationships are bad, do you know what? I've got to say this to you. They're not great with the Lord. There's an element of self-deception going on there. There is. It says in 1 John um, 4, verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Does, for he who doesn't love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he hasn't seen. I love the logic here. It hits straight to the heart of kind of idealism. Pete, stand up a sec. Can I use you as a volunteer? Ladies and gentlemen, Pete Day. I can see Pete with my eyes. My, I can hear him. I can give him a cuddle and touch him. And I can, out of that, make a decision about him. I, and I can say, oh, you know, he's a bit funny. Oh, I'm not sure about him. I could do that. Now, I don't, obviously, I'm being silly, right? But I could, oh, he's a bit funny. And I say, but I love you, Lord, right? God says to me, don't be ridiculous. You've not seen me. Because I might be saying, well, you know, Pete, his, his glasses are a bit funny. Yeah? And the Lord might say, you haven't seen mine. <laughs> now, I know I'm being silly. But there's a, there's a logic being made here. I say, well, the, the, you know, the way he is, the way he kind of, the way he hugged me, it was a bit like, it's a bit like that. It was all floppy, yeah? And Lord, I say, you haven't seen the way I hug you. And you're like, and the point is this. I can see him and make judgments about him and, and, and have, find faults and then get all super spiritual about God. And the whole time God's saying, you don't know what you're doing. You, you're in absolute self-deception. Pete, I love you. <laughs> Thank you. But there's, there's a thing. There's a, there's a thing that I, I'm in front of you. You're in front of me, and we can find fault and pick holes and say, "Well, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about that." John says, "Do you know what? If you can't love those who are in front of you, you can't love God, because this is this is who God has provided in you as your family. It's God's provision for you. If you can't if you can't find in your heart to extend yourself to them, serve them, lay down your life for them." Then all the singing and all the, all that stuff, it, it, it's wonky. It's wonky. And, you know, the best way, the best way you can love God, I reckon, is to love your brother or sister. It really is. This is what Jesus is saying here. God's saying, straighten that. Get your relationships right first. Then I really I want to hear your songs. Yes. I want to hear you come and sing praises. Yeah, I, w- I want that. Absolutely. But, but let the relationships be right. And, um, and what this means is it means facing stuff. Because what does it feel like when you get to church and then you get convicted and you have to go and find that person? What does it feel like? It's scary, isn't it? Is it, scary? Is it just me or is it scary? You think, well, what, how are they going to react? Is it going to go okay? Well, what, how will it work out? What if I say it wrong and I make things worse? And all those thoughts are going around your head and all those thoughts are going around their head. 
And so the temptation is you both back off, back off, back off. And God's saying, come on. And the Lord really wants to bring us to maturity in this. He really, really does. And um, it's one of those things where if you don't get it now, he'll just keep you going around. He'll just, he does that. <laughs> it's like the wilderness, six-week journey, 40 years, okay? He'll just keep you going around. That was a six-week journey. It took them 40 years why they didn't get it. So he'll just keep you on that track, okay? Until you get it, great, now we can move on. I'm not saying God will hold everything up. I'm not saying, but I'm saying on this, there will be area of maturity that you could be growing into, but it's just getting stunted here. So important. This is massive. Whatever you do, if, if things are out of kilter, whatever you do, don't say, Steph, I'm so blessed by that. Thanks for that message today. And then don't do anything. Please don't. I feel like I'm urging the same thing every week at the moment. Either it's me on some sort of hobby horse or it's the Holy Spirit. And then there's this urgency. There's another illustration about is that you, you, know, you owe someone some money and you're going to court. And I just love this term here. But Jesus says, come to terms quickly with your accuser. Sort things out quickly. There's this something of a haste. It's important. It's more important to do that even if you come into worship. In, pro- in terms of priority, it's important and it's urgent. Come to terms quickly. If you can do it, you know, don't put off to tomorrow what you can do today to the glory of God. This is so, so important. This is massive to Jesus. When he talks about our righteousness surpassing the scribes and Pharisees, in this context, he's not talking about him being our righteousness. In this context, he's talking about the way we live. It mustn't be a box ticking deal where you say, okay, you know, okay, I didn't, burn, didn't murder anyone. Great, tick that box. No. It's, it's, it's things like, how are you when you feel someone overlooks you? How, how do you do then? How do you do with that? Or you feel someone misunderstands you. How do you, how do you, or how do, you do in your heart? How do you manage it yourself there? Some of you, you know, in terms of the pattern you've had growing up, it's just been massive avoidance. No confrontation. Others of you, just explosive confrontation. And both can really turn people away from good confrontation, which is speaking the truth in love. And the Lord really wants to teach us that. It's so, so important. Um, it's so, so important. I want to wrap up by just referring to the kingdom again. God reigns. God reigns. Whether you straighten relationships out or not, God reigns. Okay? His authority in that sense is not affected by that. But the growth of his church in terms of maturity is affected by that. I don't know. Why does God work with us? He could just do the whole thing, couldn't he? Do you know what I mean? I mean, you know, I, I, we had to take... Um, uh, one of our children to s- some kind of like, some sort of help. And one of the <laughs> exercises that we had to do was um, like do a game with them and you're filmed doing the game, right? And then you have to watch it. So, surprise, surprise, turns out I am Mr. Directive. So we're playing Lego or whatever and, I'm l- and I, I just sort of take over. I didn't notice until I saw the film. I thought, who is that guy? It's me. Oh, we'll put this here. Oh, we do that now. Yeah, okay. Did it. Oh, let's do this now. And it's like, and the person said to me, why don't you just let your child kind of initiate a bit more? And it's been so helpful in terms of just play. It's been such a helpful thing. And sometimes I think in terms of God, you think, God, you seem to just kind of let us have a go and actually make a real difference. Why do you do that? Why don't you just say, let's do this now? You know, pick me up. Now say that to them. Put the words in my mouth. Sorry. 
No, that's okay, I forgive you. That's great. And God could just do that. And then the church would grow really quickly to maturity and be ready to marry Jesus. You think, why not? I don't know. What I know is, is that he's given us real responsibility in this. And somehow it doesn't undermine his overall sovereignty, even when by our silliness we slow things down. And yet it does affect things. It affects people's lives. It does. If you, if, you, know, if you know that, don't you? If you've been at the receiving end of some bad stuff relationally, you know, oh man, and we all have in different ways. Thank God. But God reigns, and God the King says, come on, work on this. Sort this out. See it as a big deal. See it as a big deal. How do we overcome, to finish, how do we overcome anger? Well, it's like any sin, really. It's like any sin. We go to the cross. Because at the cross, this power called sin, this dark power that grips our hearts, it's a mysterious thing. It grips us, and yet we willfully do it. It's a weird thing, but never this power sin, we're told, was broken at the cross. That, Jesus, that sin was judged in a final way in Christ being judged. Christ became sin and was judged for the sin of the world. In doing so, sin was judged, which means that sin is now condemned. Sin is finished. Sin is, you know, although obviously we still struggle and battle with it, finally it's been de- dealt with death blow at the cross. Okay? So it no longer has authority to rule and reign in our bodies because we've been moved from that realm of sin into a realm of grace. Yeah? Where now God freely empowers us to overcome. And we overcome by the blood of Jesus through his death, that means we overcome. We overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. We overcome when we recognize God reigns over this and God reigns in me. Yeah? God reigns over this and God reigns in me. And I'm not going to duck out of it by saying, well, it's just the way I am or it's just part of my temperament. I'm going to say, no, this isn't like Jesus. And he has poured out his life for me and paid the price for this. And he's given me the Holy Spirit to overcome this. And now I am going to press into God. And I'm going to get my mind renewed on this stuff. So whether, like I said at the start, whether it is bitterness and unforgiveness that causes my anger, I'm going to face it head on. I'm going to face the pain head on. Facing pain is really, really hard. Scary, actually. If you've been hurt and you've buried it and it's sitting there and it's, it's causing bitterness to grow up, facing it is terrifying because you don't know what's going to be there. <laughs> you don't know what's there. Yeah? By the grace of God, you can face it. Jesus can liberate you from it. You can forgive from the heart and you can be free. If it's just self-importance, just, you know, you're, you're just like, well, everything should revolve around me and all of my plans should come to pass. Then you need a renewal of the mind by the power of the gospel where you recognize, do you know what? At the end of the day, I'm in his hands. Let me say that again. I am in his hands. You're in his hands. Okay, so you didn't make that meeting. And if you'd made that meeting, that would have happened. And then that would have happened. It might not have done. God's, your times are in God's hands. That's called, if you can get that, then you're living in functional sovereignty. It's a great place to be. All Christians live in sovereignty. I believe in a sovereign God. But functional sovereignty is when you actually enjoy it and live it out. Yeah? Oh, I missed an opportunity there, but it's in hand. I'm in his hand. Yeah? And this, I want to just say, uh, yeah, just one, sorry, I'm going along now, but one thing I want to say, a little observation. Um, so those sort of 30 and under really struggle in terms of making decisions. Notice that. 
and making commitments. Committing to stuff and making decisions because it's kind of like a, you want your, your options open mentality because, well, then if I say that, then I can't do that. And then this might and that. You're in his hands. You are in his hands. Okay? You can say yes to stuff. You can say, yeah, I'm going to do that. I will, I will be there. It's so funny. So many times I say to people, oh, we're, gonna, we're doing this at night. Do you want to come around? Yeah, it should be okay. Are you or aren't you? Yeah, it should be fine. This should be fine. I just, do you want to come or not? No, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll text you. It's <laughs> just come. There's nothing else in the diary, but it's this kind of this, uh, but, but that might happen. And then you, you can't live like that. How are you in his hands? And you're like, it, it, part of maturity is being able to just say, yeah, I'll be there. See you there. Something else comes up. No biggie. No biggie. I'm in his hands. Yeah? Functional sovereignty. Or maybe it's just that you indulge the flesh, like I said at the start. Maybe that's, you're just in a hat. It can be a pattern of just letting yourself be naughty. You know that? Letting yourself get away with all, all the naughty stuff. And when you get into habits of that, it can feel like, oh, there's no way out. There is a way out. It's called crucifixion. And it means you've got to get that thing and say, do you know what? This is really bringing me into slavery. I want to crucify this thing now, daily, because I want to live free from it. And the power of the gospel the power of the Spirit, the power of the blood of Jesus is enough to do that. And finally, it may just be inherited patterns. You was brought up in an environment of anger. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We've been redeemed from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers by the blood of Christ. Pure gospel power truth. This is how it works, brothers and sisters. We can live free from it. We really can. I'm speaking to you as someone who naturally would really struggle in this area and have just noticed beautiful, gracious help and transformation over the years. I'm not standing up claiming perfection, but beautiful, tender help from God. As I've just said, do you know what, Lord? I, I just really need you in this. He comes. He's so faithful. He's so good. I'm sure through a session like this, for some of you, it's going to bring stuff up that it's like, going to need a bit more than, you know, a quick prayer on a Sunday. Um, but we're a church, aren't we? It's not more than somewhere where we just come and attend. We're, a, we're part of each other. Find each other. Talk about it. Pray together. If it's really serious, you can't find a way through, you know, in terms of praying with friends, it's kind of, you feel like we're not really getting here. Hey, us elders, we'd love to just help get involved. You know, it's fine. But we, let's, let's keep moving forward. Sometimes on a confrontation stuff, it's really delicate. You think, okay, I do want to do that, but I genuinely think it might be made worse if I speak to that person. I need wisdom. You want wisdom? Please come and speak to us. We want to try and help you with that so you don't just go crazy and make things worse. We want to do, do this well. But let it be that when we come before the Lord to praise and worship, it, God isn't going, ouch, I've got a sore knee. Yeah? He's not saying, oh, well, my, my ankle's sprained. He's saying, I am so free to enjoy this aroma because, look, all the joints are together. All the tendons, it's all in, a it's all in beautiful shape. Amen? We're going to break the bread and the wine. If you're here as a believer, let's do this together. Let's take the bread and the wine. Let's be in his presence. Let's be frying ourselves on him once again. If you don't know the Lord, but you're thinking, I want what you're talking about. This sounds great. And it is great. <laughs> it really is. It really is amazing revolution to know Jesus Christ at the center of your life. Everything changes, but it's a beautiful thing. And you're here and you're saying, I need this. I want this. Come and take the bread and the wine as a way of saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. And come and find me. I'll pray with you. 
We'll get you off to a good start. Make sure you get the support that you need following Christ on an amazing adventure. All right? Amen? When the band are going to come up, we're going to sing some more songs, exercise spiritual gifts, break bread and break wine. I don't know how much time we've got. How are we doing for time? Five past five. We've still got a nice 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes. Let's, let's stand to our feet. Let's really engage with God, guys. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is here. He wants to do stuff.